sounds pretty good. Just I like keep, it. You definitely keep in contact with it. Right, them. right. And just keep rubbing your hand as much as you can all over the mic itself. There it is. Mmm. <laughs> sounds like something else now. What that is, I'm not sure, but yes. Uh, digestion, obviously. <laughs> well, welcome to Super Duper Stitches. Oh my, the paranormal podcast. <laughs> The Paranormal Podcast. Where with a science filling. With the science filling, exactly. And the nougats of knowledge. The knowledge nougats. <laughs> knowledge nougats. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake. And uh, we're here to talk about some more urban legends. Yes, we did that once a while back. We're going to do it some more now. We're going to try and uh, dig deeper into the... Yeah, just, just tell the cool stories and also get spooky-ish, maybe, and uh, maybe talk some more about the maybe some of the origins of where these things may have come from. Try That's to understand right. why people tell the stories they do. The what the heck is up with that factor is going to be off the charts today, I think. But once again, before we get started, I have to interrupt with an update on the Phantom of the Chicago. Oh my God. <laughs> I've been not doing so for a while because there haven't been many of these, but uh, yeah, the Phantom of the Chicago is a um, what we're calling the unidentified flying humanoid creatures, humanoid <laughs> bat-like creatures right. in Chicago all the throughout last city. year. And um, yeah, they're huge. They are terrifying. They sometimes look like gargoyles, but they have glowing red eyes and are flying all over the place. Right. Have been all of last year into this year now people mistaking them for small low-flying planes and then whoa wait a second that doesn't look right and (laughs) that's what they do right (laughs) i was gonna give you shit no they did in one case they did exactly that thank you helicopter okay yeah i knew it was something this is way back to episode two we've been talking about this for pretty much the entire (laughs) podcast now and it's getting out of hand but it just keeps happening (laughs) so this week's report comes from uh ufo clearinghouse that's um, Manuel Navarrete. He's a member of the Chicago Phantom Task Force that Lon Strickler put together. CPTF. To, uh, yeah, they've been just kind of keeping up with all the stuff that's happening and keeping mm-hmm. reports and trying to get down to it. So sometime between 11 p.m. and midnight on Friday, February 2nd, three women saw something in Forest Park in Chicago. Ooh, Recall shit. that many of the sightings so far have been in Forest Park. Hmm. Uh, so, quote, I was walking toward my apartment with my best friend and another girlfriend after getting off the Green Line train. We were right next to the parking lot next to the YMCA when we saw something land across the street from us. The streetlight gave us some illumination along with the moonlight and it looked like a tall man but had very large pair of black wings. Now I know we had been drinking a bit but I was sober enough to know reality (laughs) from hallucination. I was drunk but... (laughs) Uh, Besides, seeing this thing was enough to scare anyone sober in a heartbeat. Seeing a man with wings was already freaky enough, but when we saw what could only be described as its eyes, it set a chill down my body. Ooh. The eyes were bright red and seemed to glow from within. It looked at us for maybe five seconds before it spread its wings as wide as they could apparently go, started to flap them, and then slowly gained altitude, flapping those wings faster and faster till it was above the building and gone. Slowly gained altitude. It seems like such a weird way to... Anyway. Just went up, yeah. yeah. Um, we could not get back to our apartment fast enough. Once inside, we closed and bolted the door shut creepy yes so as per usual with these stories uh people see this horrifying thing pretty briefly they don't know what they're seeing when they see it because holy cow and uh and just like that it's gone it was she said friday february 2nd yes so the temperature in chicago was at at in the evening between 11 p.m and 12 p.m or 12 a.m must have been pretty cold then 
probably around five degrees. Damn. So he's got some some cold resistance. That mm-hmm. one. Yeah, we were pondering last week, I think, or one in one of the last couple of weeks, um, over whether or not the Phantom of the Chicago had been hibernating. That's why we hadn't heard from it for so long. Right. But maybe not. After all, you we're might. still wondering what kind of animal it has to be. Some kind of animal. <laughs> Does yeah. It, exactly. It doesn't. Like the answer is not. It's an actual monster. But, yeah. Um, as cool as that would be. Yeah, what that animal could be is hard to say. It right. was the most active in the summertime. Seems to be a lot near bodies of water. So right, we're thinking right. it could be some kind of bird or something. But um, hard to say in this case. We'll have to keep on seeing what more reports happen. If any of them get any more details other than what we've already heard, then maybe we can glean something new from that. I'm Until very, then. very interested to hear. Yeah. yeah. Man. But yeah, now we may begin the episode proper. Oh, snap. Am I kicking it off today or are you? I forget. You are. Okay. In that case, allow me to read my segment, which I've entitled Hot Japanese Nonsense. <laughs> Sounds great. And it comes with this picture, which I think are toilets. <laughs> you want be and you like be space entertainment toilet? <laughs> Couldn't right. write it better myself. <laughs> so... For my urban legends, I went ahead and traveled a little ways around the globe to a tiny little town called Japan, (laughs) (laughs) and I have collected a small suite of tales for you today. I have three sort of short ones and then one longer one. Cool deal. And I'll let you guess which one's which. (laughs) If I recall correctly, we do have some what seem like possibly regular listeners in Tokyo now. We do. So if you guys want to get in touch, if we screw all of this up, please feel free to uh, correct (laughs) us. And also, please continue listening. We fucked this up so royally. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do better in the future. Yeah. Preemptive sorries. Um, So we have Akamanto. Akamanto. Or Red Cape. This okay. is, put simply, a spirit who haunts bathrooms. Oh, my. Specifically, preferring the last toilet stall in the women's or girls' bathroom. The last, so the, like, the closest to the wall, if you're, I like, think the furthest from the door. Furthest from the door, right. Yeah. A.K.A. the creepiest stall. Yes. Or the most private and comfortable, if you're a yeah. <laughs> reclusive <laughs> bathroom user. So, versions of the story describe this character as wearing a red cape and a kind of Phantom of the Opera mask. Huh. Which he uses to cover his, quote, extremely handsome face. <laughs> um, it's too handsome. You can't witness this. too handsome, yeah. <laughs> It'll mess you up if you see that thing, which is ironic because, as you'll hear shortly, he will mess you up regardless. Oh, um, the story goes that he has to cover his face because, in life, he was very badly stalked by admirers. Okay. Um, so, Akamanto occurs, one could say, while a person is on the toilet, a disembodied voice will ask them if they want red or blue paper. So, Jake, which would you like? Do you take the blue paper? You'll wake back up yeah. in the bedroom. In 1999? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you just wiped your butt with red he, paper and you got sucked through the just how deep the toilet hole goes. <laughs> I kind of wish it was just, um, what's his name? Morpheus. Morpheus. <laughs> He just appears in front of you in the stall <laughs> with a toilet paper roll in each hand. Yeah. He opens his hand and the toilet roll like <laughs> is revealed. You still have to eat it, though, for some reason. <laughs> oh, God, why am I doing this? <laughs> hey, you ask the questions. I have the answers. <laughs> um, so you pick the blue. Uh, is that what you said? You I want- don't know if I picked, but I'll take the blue, sure. Or rather, let me set it up for you. Would you pick or would you just abstain? Oh, you can abstain? 
Yes. If a, I guess if a disembodied voice was talking to me in a toilet style, I would probably abstain. I would probably have picked something, but I would regret my decision. So if you pick the red, you are killed violently and drenched in blood. Cool. <laughs> and if you instead ask for blue, you are strangled or bled dry, leaving your face and skin blue. Oh, good. Okay. But that paper is soft as fuck. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> it's like triple ply. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like phantom ply. <laughs> the next level. <laughs> Let me see here. If if you are to ask for any other kind of paper, you know, you ask for red, you get like horribly killed and you're all bloody. If you ask for blue, you get like strangled and you're you turn blue. So I was thinking like what if I asked for like really strong paper or really like <laughs> healthy and happy paper? Can I get the uh 100% post-consumer recycled paper? Please? Exactly. Um so you shouldn't do that either because attempting to ask for any other color of paper will res- result in the appearance of hands sometimes coming directly out of the toilet Ugh. that will drag you into the fires of hell. Which, as we know, are where things go when you flush them down the toilet. <laughs> exactly. You flush it straight to hell. <laughs> oh, Sorry, my gosh. Kids, that goldfish? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's uh, in hell now. He's in hell now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the only way to avoid the punishment is to simply refuse anything he offers, which also made me think if he was offering you, like, other things is like well if you don't want a paper then uh do you want this uh game boy color uh, <laughs> i don't want this old fucking game boy dude <laughs> bathroom game boy gross <laughs> yeah i've got uh mints i've got warm towel oh yes please oh no <laughs> um so another tale is gozu or gozu i don't know how to pronounce it um, belt? g-o-z-u cool i have no idea all right <laughs> and, or cowhead which mm-hmm. is a tale of a tale known as Cowhead. Huh. Supposedly, the true story is so horrifying that people who read or hear it are overcome with a fear so terrible that after a few days of trembling, they drop dead. Huh. Sounds kind of like the king in yellow, hmm. where people lose their minds after reading the play. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm not actually fully familiar with the It's the lore. Um, so it was by Robert W. Chambers in the uh, late 19th century. He wrote the book of short stories called The King in Yellow. It's a lot like the Twilight Zone kind of in cool. terms of the way. It's, like it's a bunch of different tenuously related short stories that really only have one thing in common. And that's mentions of the play The King in Yellow. And Ooh. the idea behind that particular play is that if you read it, it causes you to lose your damn mind. And he, um, in writing that, inspired a... Uh, a young whippersnapper named H.P. Lovecraft. Never heard of him. To uh, to write all of the cosmic horror genre. Eventually, the Yellow King, the King in Yellow, became a thing that uh, would pop up in his books as well. And eventually, in season one of True Detective. Which is super good. You guys should totally watch it. And so, another variation of the story involves a teacher who, trying to sort of rile up a bored group of school children tells them the story, resulting in the children and the teacher becoming catatonic and losing their memory. Hmm. My question is, how can the story ever be retold if people just straight up die after hearing it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like a pretty short period of time, too. Yeah, exactly. I like that the teacher would have been like, hmm. <laughs> I remember when my teacher knocked me out <laughs> with this crazy tale. Wait, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the third of these shorter versions is the slit-mouthed woman or kuchisake ona i probably butchered the heck out of that but um children walking alone at night may encounter a woman wearing a surgical mask Hmm. which is not unusual um as far as sites go in japan as people wear them to protect others from their colds or sicknesses Mm -hmm. the woman will stop the child and ask 
am I beautiful? And if they say no, she kills them with a pair of scissors, which she always carries. (laughs) And if they say yes, she removes her mask to reveal that her mouth has been ghoulishly slit open from ear to ear. So like totally cheeks basically gone. A Glasgow smile, if you will. The old Glasgow smile, exactly. She will then ask, how about now? <laughs> and regardless of whether the child answers yes or no, uh, the woman will kill them. <laughs> so if they say no, they're cut in half. Jeez. And if they say yes. Lengthwise. Yeah, lengthwise. <laughs> um, and if they say yes, uh, she cuts their mouths to be exactly like hers. Mm. So it's a lose-lose again. Yeah. But there are many hilarious ways to escape. Sometimes she also will say, did you ever tell you how I got these scars? Yeah, exactly. Why so serious? <laughs> Why are you being so serious? Oh my goodness. Um, so there are, speaking of jokes, hilarious ways to escape from this uh, punishment. All right. For one, you can answer her second question, the am, am I beautiful now, uh, with... You're average. <laughs> or so-so. <laughs> eh, it's, it's all right. Uh, which will confuse her so that you can escape. Sorry, so you, you start first by saying she's beautiful. Then when she shows you her horrible mangled face. Mangled face. Then you say, oh, you're fine. Yeah, you're like, yeah, it's, it's just a little more average than I thought. Yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Take it or leave it. See that every day. That'll just confuse her. She's, she's like, okay. huh? But my face is horrible. Yeah. Wait, you're not playing by my rules. Alternatively, and pretty obviously, you can throw fruit or sweets at her feet, and she will pick them up. I don't know. I didn't think of that. (laughs) That was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, That gives you a chance to run away. There are two other options. One is to instead ask her if she thinks you are pretty, and she will also get confused and just straight up leave. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time for this. Yeah, she's just, ah, well, forget it. Um, and a fourth possibility is to say you have to meet up with your husband or wife, at which point she will excuse herself and leave. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> Sorry for fucking with you. Uh, have a good night. <laughs> Don't come back down this road. I might stop you again, but... <laughs> so, I guess she's kind of polite and bashful, ultimately. Interesting. So, that was just the appetizer set before the Alice Killings, which is a oh. relatively recent urban legend in Japan. And is the longest and probably most disturbing of the lot I've found, in no small part because it is tangibly based on actual events. Hmm. But I'll tell you the legend first. Sure. So, from 1999 to 2005, a series of five killings took place in Japan. The five killings might have been completely different if not for the, quote, calling card that the killer left at each crime scene. Otherwise, very few clues were found, and eventually the case went cold. Below or following, I should say, are the details of each killing. Alrighty. Sasaki Megumi, the first victim, a 29-year-old owner of a restaurant. Those who knew her described her as a headstrong woman with a short temper and a sharp tongue when dealing with her employees. She was known by her customers for her fine cooking and her dedication to her job. Outside of her job, Megumi was very social and often went to parties. It was after one such party that she went missing. She had decided to walk home from her friend's house, seeing as she was only a block from her house, and she was a bit too drunk to drive. Um, several people offered to drive her home, but she shrugged them off. And that's when she was last seen. Uh. <laughs> the next morning, a couple walking in the woods about a mile from Megumi's house saw a large amount of blood on an overgrown, unused path. Curious, they followed it and found Megumi's body. 
She had been torn apart. Jeez. Her parts impaled on various tree branches, and the hmm. couple called the police. It was the police who found the playing card crammed into Megumi's mouth. It was a jack of spades which had the word Alice written on it. There were no fingerprints or any DNA to be found. There was vomit on the scene, but the female of the couple admitted that it was hers. <laughs> uh, Yamane Akio was a barely known singer in a band that never played anything more than at various bars and community functions. His friends described him as a kind-hearted man who would never raise his voice off stage. Akio was abducted from his apartment on February 11th, 2001. His bandmates were the last people to see him alive, as he had practiced with them earlier in the day. That night, his girlfriend came to visit him and was surprised to find the house empty. Within days, a missing persons report was filed and a search began. On the security footage of the apartment, a hooded figure could be seen entering through a side door and leaving with a large garbage bag that bulged strangely. Hmm. This strange appearance was never accounted for, and no one saw the strange man in person. Lots of strange. This man is widely believed to be the killer, but his face was never shown, and there appears to be some doubt. He was too handsome. He was too handsome. <laughs> he had a red cape on. <laughs> the following week, the owner of the bar, Yoshida's, where the band had often performed, was opening for the day and was met with a grisly sight. Slumped at a table was Akio's body. His vocal cords had been ripped out from his throat, uh -oh. and he had been shot in the head. His, quote, Alice card was a king of diamonds and was found clutched in his hands along with his ruined vocal cords. Uh. Kai Sakura was a teen girl who had her whole life ahead of her. She was a sweet girl and well-loved by her classmates and relatives. She wanted to go to college to be a fashion designer and was a week from graduating from high school when she was abducted. Sakura's family went frantic trying to find her, and the whole town was combed for the lost girl. There's a fly in my face. Get the fuck out of here. Her body was found two <laughs> days ago. Two days ago? Oh, God. <laughs> it's happening it's so now. <laughs> her body was found two days later, buried in a shallow grave. It didn't seem that the killer wanted her hidden. On the contrary, he had marked her grave with her Alice playing card, the Queen of Clubs. It had been taped to a stick and stuck on top of the mound. Sakura's body had been horribly mutilated. Her eyes had been carved from her head. Her skin was flayed and her mouth had been carved open. Jeez. A crown had been sewed to her head, likely uh, while she was still alive. Ugh. No sexual crimes had been committed, either pre- or post-mortem. Thanks for telling a story. Along with Sakura's body was a note written in straggly handwriting. It contained many disjointed phrases, some of which were unreadable. Death is a distorted dream. She will forever rule. And, ha ha, those who, which die are the lucky ones. It doesn't sound like it when you die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> these guys were, yeah, you should be wishing you were these guys. But a match to the handwriting was never found. I also thought they should probably be looking into Zanfretta during his hypnosis uh, <laughs> sessions. <laughs> and finally, Oshiro, Hayato, and Hina. These two were the last of the killings and the least gruesome. Hayato and Hina were siblings and very close. Hina was the elder sister and was very stubborn. Her younger brother, Hayato, was very smart and had skipped a grade, causing him to be in the same class as his sister. The two rarely fought, unlike most siblings. They were found dead in their beds on April 4th, 2005. The cause of death was a lethal injection. The children's bedroom window was open, and it was deduced that the killer snuck in quietly enough to kill the two without waking them, then snuck back out. Each child held half of an Ace of Hearts playing card that, when put together, spelled out the word... Alice? Nope. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Okay. <clears throat> One very smudged footprint was found on the carpet, but closer inspection was made impossible by severe damage to the print. <laughs> God, it's awkward. Um, this was the only piece of evidence other than the playing card left at the scene. So, shortly after the death of the Oshiro siblings, a man named Suzuki Yuto was re- arrested for the murders. He was a bum with mental problems who claimed to, quote, not remember where he was at the time of any of the murders. Most damning of all, he was seen wearing a coat that had belonged to Yamane Akio. A bit of blood on the sleeve tested positive to be his. Yoto was raving at this point and claimed that a, quote, demon man with no face had given him the coat. Yoto was eventually released, however, when a homeless shelter five miles from the Kai household claimed to have Yuto in their files for the night of Sakura's murder. So basically he wasn't, he was in that shelter that night. Since there was no way for him to get to where she was abducted and back without being noticed, Yuto was released. On April 30th, 2008, a producer known as Yugami P., um, uploaded his first song to Nico Video um, called Hito Bashira As- Arvisu, translated roughly as Alice of Human Sacrifice. Hmm. This song is believed to be based off of the Alice killings. It tells the story of a little dream who lures people into its world and then goes on to tell the story of each Alice. The song has a few parallels to each killing. The first Alice, depicted as Maiko, was trapped in the woods, which is where Megumi's body was found. The second Alice, depicted as Kaito, was a singer who was, quote, shot by a madman. The third Alice, depicted as Hatsune Miku, was well-loved, became the country's queen, and was taken over by a, quote, distorted dream. The fourth Alice, depicted as Kagamine Rin and Len, was a pair of twins regarded as one Alice. They are described as a, quote, stubborn big sister and, quote, intelligent younger brother. It also speaks of how they have, quote, yet to awaken, a possible reference to them dying in their sleep. In addition, the suits of the cards found with each body are also mentioned. Yugami P has not stated for sure if this song has any relation to the Alice killings, but it is widely assumed. The end. It's, it sounds like it's completely verbatim, like absolutely, <laughs> definitely. Exactly no what question. happened. <laughs> yeah. So, in point of fact, there were no Alice killings. Okay. That's all the story. However, there was a very real playing card killer who briefly terrorized Spain. And, you know, it's thought that the Japanese legend is based on this series of killings. So, he says it's definitely, it's all just totally not true? 100% fabrication. So, where does it come from, then? Is it just something people have been telling each other? Or is it something, I mean, it's fairly recent, it sounds like. It is. I think it was born on the internet, pretty much. Okay, so we're creepypasta territory? Creepypasta territory as sort of a reproduction of the playing card killer series of murders i guess okay. which he said it was in spain um, which was in spain um alfredo galan sotillo uh who was born uh april 5th 1978 had a pretty you know relatively plain early life mm-hmm. um but then went on strong medication following a mental state assessment so he like was you know they put him on this job that he really didn't want to do and he wound up pretty upset over that i guess and they mm. give him a mental check and they were like whoa you've got sort of neurosis and anxiety and all this stuff you gotta yeah. go on these pills and uh he wound up mixing those pills with alcohol Uh-oh. which led to him being expelled from the spanish army which was his like main medium of employ right and then he got a job as a security guard but shortly thereafter just 
straight up became a serial murderer, apparently. Wow. He just started picking victims at random. He would shoot them in the head and then leave a playing card on or near the body. And after killing six and badly wounding three, he turned himself in. And uh, he's now serving 142 years and three months for his crimes. Wow. Crazy. And he was the Joker. Yeah, he kept that card <laughs> close to his heart. Um, and that is, uh, I guess, my, my brief little segment today. Cool. It was fun to look, yeah, look at some. We do a lot of, um, I mean, we live in the U.S. So we do a lot of uh, folklore stuff here in the U.S. Um, we also do a lot of stuff that just kind of has European roots to it all. So it's cool to get a chance to look at some more different kind of stuff and get an idea of different types of legends you'd find in other countries. Yeah, so. there, there are uh, quite a few others. I just sort of wanted to pick a handful. Yeah, give, of, a, um, give a taste. A little taste. Which is good because then we can talk a little bit more about, you know, where where we think these kind of stories come from. So right. with, with urban legends anywhere in the world, it's always based on, you know, if there's some kind of prevailing fear in a, at a certain time in the country or something like that. It, t- it tends to be some kind of reason for why these stories originate to begin with. Right. So like say the um, caped guy in the bathroom. Like, I mean, being in a public bathroom is always terrifying. <laughs> right. <laughs> to a certain extent as far as... Um, it's true. You're very vulnerable there. And so the idea of... Um, Anything like that happen, especially if, you, if you're a woman in the woman's room and a man's voice, something happened, a man That's appears. That's true. Like, it's, it's very like it's, intrusive it's very and scary. frightening. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's actually quite a few folklore tales of similar kind of format to the uh, Akamanto, the red cape. A number of stories like that where they circle around being in the bathroom, interestingly enough, hmm. and like, you know, various kinds of evil entities that basically kill you if you see them the sort of bloody mary factor okay you know so there's like this small red boy who might attack you there's also the more sort of like the ring type mm-hmm. uh ghoulish ghost yeah that will kind of crawl up to you when you're in the stall oh yeah that's pretty spooky yeah that's definitely a fear people have that um is totally founded in just like no one would want that. No one would want that. So right. it's, it stands to reason that there would be multiple different kinds of scary stories around that particular totally. uh, thing it, people deal with. It's cool, too. Like, the the slip-mouthed woman, for sure, at the very least, is so akin to, like, the, you know, the ghostly hitchhiker-type stories or, like, yeah. the... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of others, but I, 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 I can't get the names out of my head right now, but many that we have in north america i think of you know you just meet some stranger in the night you may have an innocuous conversation mm-hmm. and then go your separate ways but then later you're revisited in a horrible way yeah. or even mid-conversation you come to realize oh this isn't actually a person this is like some kind of weird ghost or some kind of weird right, yeah. creature but now i'm like too close and it's almost like it's the realization that it's not a person that almost seals your fate like at first Everything's fine, but once you've come to the discovery, too late. It's too late, buddy. Some of these, I would wonder if they have a common, like a lot of different stories, folk stories in different cultures have some kind of common ancestor almost in stories uh-huh. that are passed down. The but, evolution of the, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool actually to trace. But I wonder if in some cases if it's just because it's an experience that's universal enough that it can independently, uh, convergently evolve in yeah, different right. cultures. To contextualize it, no matter what cultural background it you're still going to have the same, like, yeah, the same key elements in the tale. It's pretty cool. 
Well, thanks for sharing those uh, spooky Japanese stories and those murders that didn't happen. You're welcome, but also did. But also didn't happen. <laughs> but did happen. But seriously. But seriously, they didn't happen. <laughs> they did happen. <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah, I think I'm more of an ale guy. That's, yeah. uh, that's some very banana-y lager right there. <laughs> you want something different? Yeah, I hate this. <laughs> just right. kidding. No, no, no. It's good. It's good. I, was, sure? I just wanted to okay. say that. No, it's fine. <laughs> banana lager it's an, an india pale lager is what jake and i are drinking right now we won't tell you the brand because we don't talk shit in case they want to sponsor us later <laughs> <laughs> it works so well with stony brook yeah exactly they uh they reached out they were like can you guys just never mention us again and they've been paying us ever since yeah exactly they pay us Our to crapper. not talk Ooh, we uh, fucked shit. it up uh, <laughs> oh no well <laughs> i mean stony creek stony creek <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to talk to you about a, uh, it is a U.S. urban legend. It is um, something that's a little bit more well-known among the um, true crime-loving folks. That is the story of Cropsy. So for decades now, campers in and around Staten Island, New York, have heard the campfire tale of Cropsy, also known as the Cropsy Maniac. Uh, broadly, he is some sort of Friday the 13th style murderer stalking the woods of various summer camps. Sometimes he is fueled by a thirst for revenge of some kind. Ooh. Some formerly upstanding member of the community who had his family killed in some kind of way and he right. lost his mind and he just snapped. Uh, sometimes he's just a random deranged murderer. <laughs> he can potentially have a hook for a hand in some cases. Mm. Uh, he's occasionally even represented as more of a ghostly figure, not unlike the Candyman. Cropsy. Uh, often he wields an axe. <laughs> the, the Candyman? Yes. Often he wields an axe. In okay. Most of the stories are just true. In all cases... He has one goal and one goal only, to straight up ice some camping children. Oh, yeah. Put them down. <laughs> In 2006. Fuck those kids. <laughs> fucking kids. God Camping damn. is for grown-ups. In 2006, folklore professor Libby Tucker looked into a series of variations on the Cropsy story and detailed them in an article in Voices, the Journal of New York Folklore, hmm. which I will link to. Uh, so here's some quotes from that article. My first example comes from Maureen Berliner, who posted her recollections of Cropsy stories on the popular website kidscamps.com in 1997. Oh, not to be uh, not to be mistaken for uh, scaryforkids.com. <laughs> her earliest memories of Cropsy scares date back to the mid-1970s. Berliner remembers that the first camp she attended had a framed article hanging on the wall, a copy of the original newspaper piece about Cropsy. This piece of proof seems to confirm that Cropsy is a real person. But Berliner questions his identity. She asks, is Cropsy his real name? I don't know, but this is the basic true story. What? Her commentary ends with a typical warning for Cropsy's story audiences. Don't kid yourself. This stuff is real, so don't screw around or he'll get you. Hmm. On the internet as well as at camp, the warning generally comes at the conclusion of Cropsy's story. Hmm. So most of the stories are just like, oh, you know, this is who Cropsy is. They present whatever their variation of him is. Mm -hmm. And uh, legend has it, he's still out there in these woods today. And uh, He's going to get you. Yeah, so it's just some kind of way of then turning into... He's going to turn you to corn or some <laughs> crap. The crap man. Make a circle out of you. <laughs> mixing all genres now. <laughs> um, another example comes from an oral narrative collected two months ago. So this is two months before this was published. That would be 2006. Uh, from Sam, a 19-year-old male alumnus of Surprise Lake Camp in Cold Spring, New York. I know him. I know him. No, I don't. <laughs> Sam explains that when counselors at Surprise Lake Camp take campers out for a hike on the Cornish Trail, they tell their charges about a tragedy that took place on the Cornish Estate long ago. 
One day, a man who lived there went crazy and killed his entire family, a wife and several children, with an axe. Since he tried three times to kill his wife, there are three notches on a certain rock by the side of the trail. If campers pee on the rock, they can neutralize the peril of coming close to it. But that doesn't mean that they can avoid all danger. What? The morning after a hike on the Cornish Trail, campers uh, who find red leaves under their pillow learn that they will soon die afterward. What? So it's got, like, all the different elements you want in a good, like, um, crazy urban legend campfire story. Right. Where it's just complete nonsense from beginning to end. It's bonkers, yeah. With, like, certain ritualistic stuff you have to do to it, avoid danger. If, if and I'm... Then, oh, go on, no, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's reminding me, I went to... A summer camp in Springfield, Camp Massasoit, and they had a legend of this like swamp monster creature that lived in Lake Massasoit, hmm. and it was very spooky. It was totally camp bullshit, yeah. but like when you're six, you're just like, yeah. it's definitely there. It's oh, in the water. Sure. So yeah, that's... um. We didn't have to pee in the water, though, to make him not come out. <laughs> Which is probably for the best. Yeah. Sam's narrative suggests that the maniac may have supernatural dimensions. Anyone who can be temporarily deterred by campers peeing on a rock does not fit the profile of human horror figures. Or no, of do. human horror figures. Or do they? <laughs> Even more clearly, a recently collected narrative from Ashley, an 18-year-old alumna of an unnamed camp in New York State. Oh, shit. I know Ashley, too. <laughs> indicates that Cropsey is a ghost. Not the ghost of a man, as we might expect, but the spirit of a little boy who died after swinging from a bunk's rafters and was buried under the floorboards. <laughs> you have to imagine if you're with the campers, like, wow, this place is terrible. If I die here, they're going to cover up my death immediately. <laughs> Just build another cabin on top of the cabin. <laughs> the bunk was closed for a few years, then reopened. One day after activity period, a girl in Cropsey's bunk found a red X under her pillow. She died, of course. <laughs> now, if you say Cropsey's Naturally. name three times, a red X will appear on your own pillow. Then Cropsey will kill you. Uh, Ashley's Cropsey story shows the influence of other oral legends on the mass media. According to the widespread Bloody Mary legend and ritual, uh, calling Bloody Mary's name a number of times in front of a mirror will make her appear and launch an attack. In the popular <laughs> movie Candyman, 1992, repeating Candyman's name five times leads to a brutal assault by an angry ghost intent upon getting revenge for his early unjust death. Now, you've said his name three times so far tonight, so just be careful. Luckily, I've said it different ways, different times. It's true. We did say Kinderman. Uh, why, we might ask, would anyone want to summon such a ghost? In the movie, the two central female characters can't resist flirting with danger. They want to <laughs> test the boundaries of supernatural peril and succeed in doing so. After a long series of hair-raising, bloody attacks, both women die horribly. <laughs> in a 1977 article entitled The Cropsey Maniac, Herring and Bresslerman suggest that Cropsey legends promote campers' solidarity and support counselors' warnings to stay with the camp group instead of wandering off into the woods. Mm -hmm. These assertions work well as explanations for the earlier and more recent Cropsey legends. There is, however, another key ingredient. Hmm. Insistence that the listener may be targeted for death within a certain period of time just because he or she has lived in Cropsey's domain. The growing number <laughs> of stories that identify Cropsey as a ghost seem to suggest that he is ever-present and inescapable. Adolescents test their bravery by talking about him. Even adult camp alumni shiver slightly when mentioning his name. Does Cropsey's ghostliness reflect increasing concern about shadowy perils in our culture or fear? <laughs> or is it just another aspect of the old Axeman story? Well, 
Uh, no matter how you answer that question, I suggest that you think carefully before deciding to spend a night in Cropsy's bunkhouse. Mm-hmm. Or, depending on the narrative, what uh, wandering too far from the campground at night. Yeah, true. So what they cover there in that particular last bit is the idea that, um, like you were saying about the story you heard when you were at summer camp, counselors just telling stories to scare the fuck out of all kids. <laughs> And that's apparently fun for everyone. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, ma- emotional manipulation. <laughs> yes. Politics on a small scale. Partly it's a sort of boogeyman factor of like, um, you know, trying to keep kids from wandering off or do something right. they're not supposed to. Part of it's, uh, they said the idea of solidarity. So if you scare all the kids together, then they will bond over being scared of the same thing together, I which be- I guess could work. Right. I also believe it is not something they're supposed to as well. <laughs> yes. Starting sometime in the 70s or 80s, the story of Cropsy took on what is probably its most well-known form, that of an escaped mental patient roaming the woods and snatching up kids to take back to a by-then-abandoned mental hospital in the area. Uh, this version worked especially well because of the nearby spooky ruins of Seaview Hospital, a creepy-as-hell-looking abandoned children's tuberculosis sanatorium. And it looked like this. Ooh, cozy. Yeah, so not the kind of place you want to run out and visit. Not really. So, yeah, you tell the kids about this creepy, horrible man, suggest that he's still out there and could get them at any time, and then tell them to try to sleep. <laughs> uh, so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I never went to summer camp, but it sounds awful. Yeah. You guys want us to be tired tomorrow, right? <laughs> so, let's you have a classic slasher movie type of villain for campers to get creeped out by, who may also serve the purposes of, like I said, the boogeyman kind of way of keeping them from doing stuff they shouldn't, um, you know, wandering off or whatever. Right. So, Cropsy was a 100% USDA grade A folktale. <laughs> that is, except for all the disappearances. Ooh. Uh, so, here's from a Wikipedia article I will link to with some quotes. In 1972, five-year-old Alice Pereira vanished after her brother had left her alone only for a moment. They were playing in the lobby of a building on the island. Reports also suggest Alice may have been sighted in Which one of island? the parks. Which island? Sorry, sorry. Uh, Staten Island. Staten, okay. Yeah. Uh, reports also suggest Alice may have been sighted in one of the parks. She was never seen again. In 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes did not return home after going to the store to get a bar of soap with her friend. Her parents filed a missing persons report and a search was issued. She was also never found. Whoa, to this day? To this day. What the fuck? In 1983, 11-year-old Tyhees Jackson, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, was reported missing after her mother had sent her to purchase food and she did not return. She was last seen exiting the Mariner's Harbor Motel in Staten Island on August 14th of that year and never seen again. Yikes. Can you imagine being the parents of those kids? Yeah, especially, you know, back in the 70s, 80s, that time, like, there's just stuff like that just happens and then that's it. You're just like, well, fuck. What the fucking... Yeah, at least now... I would swear a lot. I'm sorry. (laughs) Watch your mouth, Wyatt. (laughs) This is a family podcast. (laughs) What the heck? So dumb. <laughs> All right. In 1984, Staten Island resident Hank Gaforio was reported missing after he did not return home one night. Gaforio was described as being, quote, slow and had an IQ in the 70s. Mm. At the time of his dis- disappearance, he was 22. His body was never found. In 1987, Jennifer Schweiger, born with Down syndrome, oh, no. was reported missing on July 9th. Her body was found underground after a 35-day search. Uh, while combing the area around Willowbrook State School, a particular spot caught the eye of retired New York City firefighter George Kramer. He returned with the police. Uh, the entire body was unearthed from the shallow grave, and the remains were positively identified as those of Schweiger. Jeez Louise. Yeah. 
Police searched the grounds for evidence and found a makeshift campsite in proximity to Schweiger's grave. Mm. It would turn out not to be the only makeshift campsite in the area surrounding the school. Now, for context, the Willowbrook, uh, Willowbrook State School was an institution for children with intellectual disabilities, and it was very close to the abandoned hospital from the Cropsey stories. Mm-hmm. Willowbrook was completed in 1942. Uh, it was briefly used as a U.S. Army hospital during World War II, and then finally opened for its intended purpose in 1947. Okay. It was a living hell. Yikes. The school housed 6,000 children with a variety of intellectual disorders. Oh. It was built to hold a maximum of 4,000. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Robert Kennedy toured Willowbrook in 1965 and described these so-called students as, quote, living in filth and dirt, their yes. clothing in rags, in rooms less comfortable and cheer- uh, cheerful than the cages in which we put animals in a zoo. What the hell? Now, this whole story gets so dark. I'm not, that's why I'm not doing a Kennedy impression. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, the only way you can <laughs> save it. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> no, never living, mind. <laughs> living in the filth and dirt, their clothing in rags. Room's less comfortable. Okay. Uh, hepatitis A outbreaks. It gets much darker from here. Yeah, go on. Um, hepatitis A outbreaks were very common there. So between the 50s and 70s, researchers Saul Krugman and Robert W. McCollum freely conducted medical experiments on the children at Willowbrook to test possible means of fighting hepatitis A. Oh, my God. When is this happening? This is between the 50s and 70s. God. So, damn. So their tests, like the idea was supposedly they're doing experiments to try and fight hepatitis A which is happening already in the location it's there. so ghoulish. But this consisted, their experiments consisted in part of secretly inoculating 60 healthy children with a disease and just watching them get sicker and sicker. Ugh. Krugman argued that it was fine because the kids were all probably just going to get it anyway. Generally, oh there was God. a prevailing opinion among those who worked there that the occupants were effectively subhuman. So this was confirmed, this uh, this kind of prevailing mentality was confirmed when investigations in the mid-70s turned up cases of physical and sexual abuse of the residents by staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, add to this the generally horrific day-to-day for everyone living there, and Willowbrook was clearly just a place to throw away and forget about anyone you didn't know how to take care of and didn't want to think about in the greater New York area. Jeez, man. Greater New York City area. Uh, the state closed the facility not long afterward. Not for nothing, it should be noted that the facility's campus also had an underground network of tunnels, just so you know. Also not creepy or depressing <laughs> or weird. Yeah. Uh, getting back to the disappearances, let me introduce you to Andre Rand. Further proof that you cannot trust people with the last name Rand. Who was the first one? Ayn Rand. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was for some time in the, ni- uh, the mid-60s a custodian at Willowbrook. Mm-hmm. And he looks... I like these. Looks like a fucking creepy ass dude, I gotta yes. say. So, He's got that cold, dead stare. Mm-hmm. That like weird would totally like torture an animal just to like just do it, mm-hmm. and then go get like a sandwich or something. Yes. At one point, he randomly picked up eleven children from the Staten Island YMCA in a school bus, bought them all a meal, then drove them to Newark Liberty International Airport. Just all without the parents knowing that what was even happening. They were, right. he, was, he was apprehended there at the airport. None of the kids were harmed, but holy shit. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Rand oh was sentenced God. to 10 months in jail for this almost kidnapping. Yeah. Um, regarding the later Cropsey disappearances I had mentioned, in the previously mentioned case of um, Alice Pereira, Rand was a prime suspect due to his proximity and his record of having abducted a bus full of kids. <laughs> uh, no particular evidence linked him to the case, however, at the time. And that was that. Yikes. In the case of Holly Ann Hughes, Rand apparently approached Holly and her friend, pulled Holly into his car, and drove off with her. 
Several eyewitnesses reported seeing the, the two together. Holly was last seen with Rand before disappearing for good. In 2004, Rand was tried and convicted of her kidnapping. Oh, my God. Tiahees for Tiahees Jackson, the 11-year-old who disappeared in 1983, went missing just 12 days after Rand was released from prison. He was questioned about the case, but never charged. Hmm. Um, regarding Hank Gaforio, eyewitnesses reported last seeing him in a local diner with Rand in the early morning hours. Whoa. This is the last time he was seen alive. So, uh, I mean, all signs point to this guy. Yeah. Uh, witnesses also reported seeing Jennifer Schweiger walking with Rand just prior to her disappearance. Unfortunately, most of the evidence against Rand is purely circumstantial. People seeing him, saying they thought they saw him with these people before they disappeared, but no actual physical evidence linking to him as yeah, having murdered them or as anything. much as it like holds up in the court of like public opinion in a court of law you're just like sorry i can't really yeah you know the so, case on that ultimately he was only tried for kidnapping he was however con- convicted of two of the counts back to back which means he was not uh, he will not be eligible for parole until 2037 by wow. which time he will be 93 Yikes. so if he survives those sentences he it meets effectively life sentence at that point. Right, right. Um, but yeah, never actually tried for any murders, despite Damn. the fact that it sounds like a lot actually happened. Right. Uh, although no material evidence can actually confirm it, all signs, as you said, point to Rand's having lurked in the area around Willowbrook, totally. abducted them, and killed and buried them in and around the tunnels Oof. near the facility. Jeez. Someone who would have known the facility, know where you could sneak around and stuff, where you could hide things no one would find. Oof. So there may still be bodies underneath that school someplace. Again, school being a very loose term. Yeah, right. Uh, this sounds like it's falling back too heavily on the Cropsey stories purely for the purpose of filling in gaps in a series of horrific and tragic crimes. Like, we don't know for certain that he actually did this, but it's like, oh, if we turn back to the idea of these scary stories, like, oh, he must have done all this. He must have been responsible for every single one of those murders and stuff. Um, and it would make sense that that would be just, you know, just people filling in a narrative just because... It helps at least tie up loose ends. Right. Uh, except for the fact that Rand himself has indirectly confirmed everyone's suspicions. What? A New York Post article about him came out in 2000 entitled, Jailhouse Sex Fiend Suspected of Slaying Four Children. Ugh. At one point, Rand was making fun of the other inmates, saying that they were all in for petty crimes and didn't have the guts to do anything really bad. When asked what he did that he was so proud of, he waved around that particular Post article uh, saying... This is what I did. Whoa. Now, so uh, one of the inmates actually ended up talking to police about that, asked to remain anonymous, of course, and uh, said, you know, he had said this thing. He did this thing. He seems to be bragging about having made, like, right. committed these crimes. But again, that's not something that you can use as actual evidence of the oh crimes themselves. So we'll never really know for sure unless he actually cops up to it before he dies. He seems like the kind of inmate that even inmates would be like, uh, he needs to be in jail, jail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We need to put him in double jail. Yeah, he's not fit to walk around prisoners yes. or convicts. <laughs> they file a restraining order against him <laughs> in jail. Oh, man. That so, is creepy as yeah. hell. So Holy he, shit. Um, now, it's hard to say whether or not he... It doesn't seem like he was deliberately trying to copy the Cropsey kind of um, persona. Right. It seems more like he just lived it, embodied it, was it, just because. Right. Um, now, a lot of the Cropsey stories sound like they all do date back to the same time. So it is possible that he, like, it's really hard to say whether he, it's coincidence that there was this story of a maniac that was, it is kind of a generic sort of murder type story. Sure. And then in the exact same area, those murders were actually happening. 
Uh, right. Or if maybe there was some basis to the legends in his crimes, right. and people didn't even really realize for sure that that was true, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of spun their own yarns around the kind of vague idea of disappearances. So that's another direction that some Man. urban legends can go, and it's darker. <laughs> it's darker. It's spooky. I, it does make me think. I've I know I've searched for Cropsy in the past. You know, walking around the woods, no, just kidding, online. And, <laughs> um, to find them. I yeah. did actually find there's a, um, I think, CropsyLegend.com, possibly, and one of the things they have is, like, instructions for how to go, like, ghost hunting on Staten Island. Ugh. It's like, what? why are you giving people instructions for you to go do that? It's terrible. <laughs> Step one, don't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I know there's an image that comes up in the search that is, like, a room full of what looks like straight-up dead kids. Huh. And I'm wondering what that's associated with. There was a movie called Cropsy yeah. that came out in the not-too-distant past. Um, it's a faux documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think I actually co- saw that. Did you? Okay. That, I wonder if that if it's anything to do with that I or not. I totally forget. Because there are elements that kind of blend elements of the actual history of the Willowbrook facility right. with you know the actual crimes for which Rand was convicted and some degree of speculation all into one like kind of fluid narrative so i don't know i haven't seen it myself i don't know how much i don't know how many liberties they took in doing that but yeah right right i wonder i want to look up that image now Alrighty, righty drink some more banana beer while you do so banana beer this this fucking shit so what's the photo okay i see the pictures fucking the internet is going so goddamn slow. oh yeah that's horrible it's really uh, gruesome open that, up. that looks like Willowbrook. So, so that's yeah, that's probably actually Now whether or not they're dead, I don't know, but it's probably it was a horrible, horrible place. And not unlikely that you know, there there's a lot of pictures of Willowbrook that are just I mean the the kids and the all different ages of people there who were just treated like Oh it was, my it was awful. God. Having all that context now. Like mm-hmm. before I'd like Somehow was able to see these and just be like, oh, this is a creepy image. But now I'm like... Knowing the truth behind what actually yeah. led to that image, yeah. Urgh. We will probably not link to that. <laughs> no, indeed. Search for, for it it's if just, you yeah, dare. It's, it's just, yeah. Think about what we described as far as what was happening in that place, and then that's what it is. Man. Just, you know, kids having... I, I saw other pictures. Like, that one, I don't know if that is necessarily... I saw other pictures depicting, like, the horrors of Willowbrook, and it was just kids in what looked like just really crappy conditions was right. straight up dead kids in a room but right that looked like for fun oh my god well i'll i'll uh i've got one more japanese urban legend for you then to clean the palate or do we want to talk about our weekend to cleanse the palate oh yeah let's talk about the weekend yeah so quick. let's uh let's try and get back on a positive note by talking about what we did yesterday where yeah. did we go why Yesterday, we went up to the Cryptozoological Museum. The in, International Cryptozoological yes, International, Museum. Excuse in, me. In uh, Portland, Maine. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty cool, I got to say. Um, Definitely pay a visit if you're anywhere near the area. Yeah. it's 10 it's, bucks admission for adults. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And there's just so many cool things. It's it's pretty small, but there's just it's they use the space pretty efficiently. There's stuff everywhere, wall to wall, lots of little things to really soak in absolutely they they i think wowed both of us but their sort of uh 
comprehensive coverage of cryptids. They really do hit it all. Virtually every cryptid we've talked about so far on the show has and was in there somewhere. Some that we never even thought to talk about. And they have a pretty compelling case for what Nessie might be, the, the purported Loch Ness monster. Yes, and I don't um, know if you want to talk about that now, if you want to save that for... Maybe we'll save it. Maybe we'll save it, but yeah. it's a pretty cool idea. For it's a cool makes idea. total sense. And uh, we're hoping that we can talk with Lauren... Last Bouchard? Name. No, that's the creator of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, Lauren... Marple, that's the creator of the logo of our show. <laughs> uh, international Crypto. You went about that way better. I was searching for Lauren. <laughs> Lauren Coleman. Lauren Coleman. You got there faster. All right. Snip snap. Lauren Coleman uh, is the founder. He, um, yeah, there's the, I guess the museum has moved to multiple locations in its lifetime. Right. We're hoping maybe sometime in the future to meet up with him and talk to him about that some stuff. That would be super duper cool. He's been into, uh, actively involved in Fordian research for most Decades of his now. years, yeah, yeah. so very um, cool to see what he can tell us about his experiences in doing that. Talk to a real cryptozoologist. That's right. We're and, just uh, zoologists, I mean. Exactly. We just dabble, but uh, he, he's immersed himself, so it'd be really cool to... Uh, yeah, exactly. In the crypto end of things. And uh, But yeah, it was a really fun time, and if you guys are ever in that neck of the woods in Portland, Maine, there's uh, the Cryptozoology Museum, and then you can also swing into... Uh, Bissell Brothers right next door. Fun establishments nearby. I wasn't going to name drop, but now we've done it. Um, Bissell Brothers, yes, indeed. We're drinking out of their glasses. We want some sponsors. Yeah, <laughs> no, please sponsor us. It, beer's never going to sponsor us. But um, yeah, and if you want to follow the Super Duperstitious account on Instagram... Uh, we had a whole Insta story monitoring our uh, Insta story, <laughs> Insta story showing our whole entire journey through the day yesterday. Yes, indeed. So thanks for joining us this week. You know, we always love to have you here. Next yes, week, indeed. come back again for another super duper stitious special report. That's right. We're going to get back into it. We are now going to take a deep dive through supernatural phenomena in the sense of the natural world, the being natural supernatural. World. Kind exactly. Of, which will cover some of the sort of new age beliefs you'll see around sort there. Movie geology. Yeah, all kinds of different interesting things. So next week, we'll tell some cool stories. The following week, we'll dig deeper into the science behind it. Exactly. We'd love to have you there with us yes indeed so uh we will see you guys next week thanks so much for stopping in and uh, we'll talk to you again soon yes indeed bye bye, bye.